across the galaxy. This is where conspiracy on the wild side meets the perspective of a lifetime. This is the Free Zone with your host, Freeman. Hello and welcome to the Free Zone. Well, tonight, guys, we're getting into it. Antichrist, MK Ultra, mind control through music. It's coming down. We're talking to the one and only Leo Zagami. Hey, Leo started as a, a record producer back in the day and uh, really hit his stride. He had a brilliant career as, as a media and music industry as a record producer, but really became popular when he came out with his Confessions of an Illuminati. And this is a series of books that you guys have to dig into. Uh, tonight, we're getting into volume eight. So uh, there's much to dig into in, in Leo's collections of writings, and I highly recommend them all. These are things that you cannot know from anyone else. And so that's what makes it so fantastic. Tonight, we are going to get into Confessions of an Illuminati, Volume 8, From the Rise of the Antichrist to the Sound of the Devil and the Great Reset. So please welcome to the Free Zone, Leo Zagabi. Hey, Leo. Thank you for having me on. It's a great pleasure and honor after so many years of uh, hearing and uh, uh, reading and watching your work. Uh, I mean, it's uh, always a pleasure to see that there is uh, fellow travelers in this uh, path that uh, we call life that are unveiling truths that uh, sometimes are not really welcomed because they want to keep them as secrets no they want to keep uh, secrets from us but we are unveiling these truths uh, uh, a little bit at the time and that's what i've been doing in my books i guess you have been doing it also with your shows and your work i heard also you did some books yourself so it's 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 a pleasure to be here and knowing also that you have appreciated as my first book this confessions of an illuminati volume eight so you have a lot of reading to do i tell you bro Yes, because, <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, because there is uh, another uh, seven volumes uh, after that uh, that um, I always regard as valid uh, points uh, for then, uh, like we said in private before starting this show, maybe further studies. And so I think that we have a lot to discuss also because you have been also somebody who has uh, analyzed and uh, criticize in the past uh, Hollywood and uh, their uh, and the way that they have manipulated people uh, in various ways. Now, in my book, of course, uh, as you have noticed, there is uh, a more pragmatic, down-to-earth uh, uh, kind of uh, direction when it comes to unveiling uh, the most nefarious practices uh, from, for example, the military-industrial complex, but there also there is the occult element uh, when I also discuss, uh, of course, the involvement of the secret societies of Freemasonry, which is a society with secrets, but uh, not properly a secret society because everybody knows about it. But also there is secret societies like uh, uh, many that I have discussed during the course of this book that are not really well known even within uh, the world of so-called conspiracy theories or the, the what we used to call the truth movement back in the days <laughs> and that is of course groups like uh, the temple of psychic youth uh, further studies uh, and uh, 
to getting in that also when it comes down to the works of the Ordo Templiantis or other groups, the Golden Donor, or other groups that in one way or another have characterized the, um, their involvement with Hollywood. And I would say that in this book, Volume 8, uh, I wanted to also show once again how uh, this uh, group of heretics that comes from the Jewish world, which is the Sabbatean Frankist, found their modern playground, able to then spread their own version of reality and influence reality in, in Hollywood. Um, now, I don't know what's your take on the Sabbatean Frankist involvement uh, or your take on the Jesuit involvement, but these are, of course, for me, very important because aside from the secret societies, then you have those who control the secret societies. And the history of the secret societies in the last three centuries, including the history of Freemasonry, is often connected with the Sabbatean Frankist. Um, and uh, there is direct involvement from the cousin of Jacob Frank, who was involved with uh, a group known as the Asian Brethren, uh, to uh, the supposed mentor of Madame Blavatsky, who was himself also a Sabbatean uh, Frankist, uh, Max Theon. So I have uh, in this book exposed basically how these people are molding a reality in preparation for the arrival of the Antichrist and uh, the, what the Christians, of course, call the end days, uh, the, the, the apocalypse, the, the revelation, uh, more than the end of, uh, uh, of our realities, the beginning of a new reality. And so I wanted to explain from chapter one, first of all, of course, uh, you told me that your parents were involved with Walt Disney. Uh, there is uh, in my book uh, a lot about how Walt Disney has changed very much from being the ones who were actually denouncing, you know, Walt Disney himself was denouncing and exposing the communists in Hollywood. Nowadays, they are the ones promoting a... Um, leftist uh, woke ideology uh, but I also explained how this woke ideology came into place uh, the, the roots of it in the Frankfurt School how that arrived here in America and uh, it's also another element that comes from those Sabbatean Frankist roots which were of course very strong also in Germany. So I'm open to questions from you on, uh, on, on whatever you want to discuss and I thank very much also your audience for tuning in today and if you want of course then follow up our discussions that will be quite a lengthy discussion because I know that you have uh, a lot of uh, questions and I know that you also want to do a two-hour show so that's pretty long but I'm sure that people will still find a lot of uh, the answer to the question unanswered so for those answers uh, I of course uh, direct and directly to the sound of the devil and the great reset which is volume eight of my confessions to you uh, absolutely yeah all right, <laughs> all right. uh Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Mind control using sound waves. As we start to look into this puzzle, that's where the book opens up and the concepts of uh, using this. And I found this this product 
that I thought I'd open our, our discussion on this with. Um, this is called the Mosquito Loitering Solutions. Mm-hmm. And this is the Mosquito Anti-Teenager Repellent Alarm. <laughs> yeah. you, you can go buy one right now for $618.40. But just so you can uh, get the advertisement here, the Mosquito Anti-Loitering Alarm. Everyone should have the right to feel safe and secure in their own community. But thanks to the intimidating nature of loitering and vandalism, this is unfortunately not always the case. This is where the brilliant Mosquito MK4 anti-loitering device steps in. An alarm designed with an express purpose of giving peace and space back to both individuals and communities. Whether it's gangs of teenagers causing trouble outside your home or groups of vandals defacing your shop at night, the mosquito is the ideal audio repellent to deter malicious individuals from taking away your peace of mind. (laughs) The mosquito, and this is the last of it, the mosquito is non-confrontational, non-harmful, and perfectly legal. The sound it emits won't penetrate doors, walls, or fences. Fences, really? But it will be annoying enough to prevent people from gathering around your property so you don't have to worry about sacrificing your own comfort. (laughs) The high-frequency buzzing sound will only be heard and noticeable to those under the age of 25. Yeah, that? that, (laughs) I mean, it's a perfect uh, intro to, of course, uh, one of the ways that frequencies are used uh, commonly, like you said. I mean, it's almost normal to just... uh, use something like this which is, is shocking in reality you know, that uh, that nobody really discusses the implications of all this and uh, of course uh, um, when it comes down to the rise of the antichrist in my book and the way that they are molding and controlling this society frequencies are part of this game so chapter one is about uh, uh, the way that frequencies are used and also how music is used even for torture because this is not really uh, a subject that of course the music business wants to discuss how they use their music for torture but it's also interesting the fact like you said there is equipment that is used by the common folk as well as the police though uh, for doing uh, things uh, using uh, uh, what we don't really imagine it might be lethal, but it's definitely dangerous. And it becomes lethal, though, when these uh, uh, magnetic uh, magnetic rays, uh, however you want to call them, bioelectric magnetic fields, uh, are then also used, and we have had the testimony of many people, victims in the embassy, for example, in Cuba, the American embassy in Cuba. There is weapons that are directed on people using this kind of technology. Now, I uh, explain also in this uh, book, of course, the effects of these psychoelectronic uh, weapons and uh, the, 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 the fact that, uh, of course, they can induce forced memory blanking, they can... Uh, make you uh, defecate. They can make uh, all kinds of things. They can make... It's not only the ringing in the ears here. I mean, it, even forced orgasms can be pushed uh, using this kind of things. I mean, intense pain in the genital area, all kinds of things. I mean, it's like... So it's uh, interesting to see 
how of course they have uh, used for 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 torture for for military purpose for policing because we have an increased policing of a reality which is uh, happening as we speak and then of course i mixed up all this also with the tuning of the music on a specific frequency and the standardization of music so it is quite a wide uh, let's say topic that i've chosen uh, to open the book with. Uh, but uh, I remember one of the things that inspired me was this article I read from Professor Anton Jerusalem, uh, Mind Control Using Sound Waves, which was actually published originally in the official website of the World Economic Forum. And uh, controlling the brain with sound waves is a reality. It's not a conspiracy theory. So, yes, you can... I guess, like we just discussed, you can uh, uh, create damage, immediate damage, but you can also, in a more subtle way, control the energies of the subjects and lower the possibility that these people will revolt, maybe, or will uh, create problems for the established system. So there is a selective way of basically blocking certain neural activity. And, uh, and and that I think is, is is pretty scary. This ultrasound neuromodulation that uh, is, uh, is is basically can be directed at us uh, from a variety of sources around us, especially when when uh, people have been focusing so much on the negative effects of the 5G, but we are already in the 6G technology, and that is going to be the next step into from the Internet of Things into the Internet of Bodies. So that is also, uh, I guess, an interesting uh, thing that we could discuss. Uh, but, okay. Uh, because yes, uh, a random thought on that very thing. Yeah. It's yeah. just something that's been bubbling around in my brain. And the idea that uh, we are working towards soul transfer, consciousness transfer into computers, and we have the technology, we have the blue brain project, we have all these different that are mapping out the mind and, and being able to transmit it. But everyone, including them, says, you know, you cannot transmit a soul. But what if you created a computer out of an Internet of bodies? Now our bodies are capable of soul transmission. What if we become the processors of this very system? But I think that us. their intention to block that uh, for the masses is because, first of all, they want to upload themselves. Right. So they would live forever <laughs> yeah. on our yeah. souls, right? We'd yeah. be in little pods somewhere yeah. with our nervous systems detached. We're in the metaverse, and they're living in a computer system that's generated by our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they want us as physical forms in this dimension. First of all, they want to have complete control of every uh, of every move, of every uh, feeling we have. In fact, even even at the latest Davos, they actually uh, the one that just uh, ended on uh, on the twentieth. They 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 actually said, you know, that one day we will be transmitting, transmitting because that's what Arari, the the the, the, 
the, the philosopher, <laughs> if we can call him like that, of the World Economic Forum is pushing the transhumanist idea that basically they will one day microchip all of us and 24 hours a day we will be relaying information to uh, you know towards a centralized system that will then control us but also will receive every input that we are permitting in that uh, in, in that way and that so, would be like patent Patent number 2020-060606. Well, that patent is important and it's a patent I discussed, but it's also a patent that will make us a virtual depository to money, digital currency, which means that at one point they can simply say stop and you are left without anything because your digital wallet is within your system and your system is basically... Uh, then pushed out of the whole general system and you you are not going to be able to then purchase anything and you're going to die of starvation or something like that. <laughs> but the thing is that they want to, first of all, cage us in this virtual world, this metaverse. That's why I discussed also, as you know, in this book, the metaverse. I, I renamed it the shitverse because, <laughs> uh, because uh, I, I really profoundly dislike uh, this uh, metaverse and this concept which I think is being constructed as a digital uh, prison for the masses that will be increasingly left with nothing in the real world. Yes. So if you want to make the masses uh, like the motto of the Davos uh, mafia, the, the, the great resetters is, you, you know, like Klaus Schwab said, you will be left with nothing and you will be happy. And that is also something that brings us to another concept which I discussed in this book, the fact that streaming is part of it. Streaming, streaming music, streaming uh, films, streaming entertainment is part of that mentality. Because when you think about it, people like me and you are the proud owners of many books. Now, I don't know how many books you own. I, I have a lot. I had 10,000. I had to leave most of them in Italy. Unfortunately, I, I live in a small space here. I go through many restrictions because of my choices. I had to leave Italy in 2019. Otherwise, I would be arrested and I would be taking my passport and I would probably not have the possibility of, of freedom anymore because of what I wrote in my books. I was actually brought into in front of a court to front my enemies which were irregular Freemasons that claimed uh, I exposed them negatively in my books. And so I saw the corruption firsthand of the system, but I was able to flee that. And I'm lucky that I fled in 2019 before this whole pandemic thing started. Otherwise, I would have probably been forced to get vaccinated and all that rubbish. Uh, I was actually forced only to get the influenza vaccine by my green card uh, for my green card. And that was already, already made me sick. I can imagine people who take the COVID vaccine. That must be terrible. And I was lucky enough to avoid a lot of the vaccines because of my previous vaccines in the military. But, but uh, I, I am now, of course, uh, not in a home like in Italy, a big villa where I can keep my 10,000 books. <laughs> I, can, I get my mother to send me every now and then a few, a few books. But of course, I, I, you know, nowadays I live in, in a condo. I live in a very modest uh, compared to, to when I was in Italy. But I still am very proud of my books. They're part of my history, just as yes. my records because I used to be a record producer, I used to be a DJ. I, I you and I are going to be best friends. 
<laughs> I thank you for 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 reaching out. I'm sure that we have a lot in common, and I'm sure that we can definitely uh, be friends because we, we we have similar experiences probably out of life. But what happened is that uh, I had to, of course, like I said, my books are part of my history, just as my and not only my books because my books are also my family's books. They were my there is some of the books my, were my father's books, some of my books were my grandfather's books, some of books were my great grandfather's books. So it's you know it's a history of a family that gets transmitted in something tangible, just like the vinyl records I collected during my career. I have something like fifteen thousand vinyl records. That those I couldn't bring here because they will occupy way too much space. They're so, so heavy. They left, <laughs> they're left in Italy for the moment. But uh, in the philosophy of today, of the of the millennial person, then you see, you know, they are relying on streaming platforms that really give you music without giving you really anything. Not you, you already had the CDs that were already flattening the frequencies and giving us music in a more in a way that was less profound than vinyl. I was always a very much a promoter of vinyl. Uh, but now it's even worse. Now music is like a fast food. Uh, it's like the difference between a vinyl record or even a CD and a streaming uh, on the internet is basically the, the, the difference you have between a, uh, a great meal and just going out to a fast food place. Because... Uh, Nothing will be left of that music that you are. I mean, you purchase music from iTunes. What do you have really? You get stuff from Spotify. What do you get really? Mm -hmm. you, you don't. You don't get anything tangible. So that is the streaming philosophy that is part of this great reset. When you subscribe to Netflix, you don't have a DVD. You don't have something that you can keep and cherish for life. I still. We we are going to be the last generation to remember what yes. it's like, you know, to have these yes. things or to remember how to drive somewhere without GPS. And just to put a note on this, the Barack Obama Library, which looks like an Egyptian monstrosity, mm -hmm. the Obama Barack Obama Library will not contain any books. <laughs> yeah. It's just like that's so ridiculous. It's just. I mean, it's, it's just, I, I can't even think. I mean, I understand what it means to scan old books, old text. Uh, maybe it's important. Then you can maybe transfer them in a digital format. And maybe you can work on that uh, stuff and then maybe later on publish it. I, I think that that is a good thing to, you know, maybe like, for example, a friend of mine found in the library, I think, of uh, the Swedish Rite in Stockholm, the in the archives they had the rituals of the african architects which is actually an order which was created just in the period uh, before the illuminati and that inspired uh, some of the rituals of the illuminati and some of the symbolism that they used to use within the order of adam Weishaupt. and there is only a manuscript left so he went there and meticulously photographed each page, you know, and tried to, with all the respect that you have to have for such a text, you know, when it's, um, and I understand that it's a great thing to be able to digitalize certain things, but to only rely on the digitalization and not on the real physical copies. Now, that is not something I, I always say to people who purchase my book, try to purchase it in a paper format, even if you have purchased the Kindle. I know that, for example, when it comes to volume eight, it's more handy to have a Kindle. 
because of course this book is a one kilo point free of it's couch. a big book it's a big book <laughs> you can't really just bring it outside and read it uh, easy in the park i guess it's a big book but having said that you can get the kindle and you can bring it around that's okay it's at a reasonable price but one day maybe that kindle will be part of the digital desert you leave behind Absolutely. instead the book will be something that your son grandson great grandson will be able to read so i always encourage people to definitely to to, to purchase the, the actual paper format even if for practical reasons i also uh, make available the kindle format and uh, like i said this is all part of the transformation of this society but then we have uh, at times the reaction that uh, maybe is a surprise reaction by the new generations. I was very much uh, positively surprised when last week I read an article that said that in the last uh, uh, couple of years there has been a big rise in the sale of vinyl records. And actually I've noticed, I talked with some of my former colleagues, record producers and stuff, and they're saying that the new generations are actually digging the vinyl because they find it cool and it's something they can physically have because the need for something like that is is still in us and, and that's kind of the thing isn't it the more they they restrict us the more they push us the the more it revives this uh, need and and we become start to grab out for records and and physical objects so the problem though is that for example when this whole trend towards the digitalization of music started a lot of fabrics and a lot of places where they were you know fabric where plants where yeah. they actually put out the vinyl and even the actual place there is only one place i think left in japan that actually makes the material for the vinyl. exactly it's, yes. it's 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 kind of they are closing out they're closing so now there is big queues for example there is a place called mpo in france one of the biggest producers of vinyls in the world there is a queue enormous queue so you you're not able anymore to just say okay i'm going to bring this vinyl out next month right you have to plan it in a year in advance and yes i mean i'm a collector so i know i'm still waiting on things you know it's yeah. been a year uh, and i'm still waiting on on certain records to come in because uh, there's a queue and because they have closed down those factories they shouldn't have before it was possible, there were factories all over the place. Even in the Czech, uh, former Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia, there was one, I remember. There were many. There were many in London. I used to go and adventure myself when I was a record producer. I, I liked very much the whole process, even of vinyl cutting. There were places that do the vinyl cutting in a certain way. And, and actually, even leaving messages inside the vinyl that were written and things. I talk about it also in my book. Some artists did that. Um, but, but nowadays, of course, uh, the, now they might go back to appreciating vinyl, but at the, in the meantime, 80% of that industry has disappeared. So it's going to be very difficult to revive it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, they, they how, it's not easy to then, uh, you know, because a lot of this, uh, these jobs are actually almost, uh, it's a craft. You need to learn from when you are a kid and, and you, and you, and you and so it's a pity that this uh, uh, ancient uh, or old, this not, when it comes to vinyl, it's not ancient, but it's rather, relatively new. But still, people uh, uh, were, were kind of like really into vinyl 
when I was a DJ and it made a difference because uh, uh, the sound was uh, even at uh, clearly to the ear different from the CD. The CD, like I explained in this book, already had a flat 44.1 frequency range that you couldn't go above that. So even when I brought, for example, I make an example, I published uh, my last album, I think, uh, around 2001 or 2002, but I used to bring the digital audio tape, the DAT. Digital audio tape, in reality, was a tape still and could still go very much deeper in the earth. So you will go up uh, down to 48, I mean, up to 48, and you couldn't do that with the CDs. So, you know, the vinyl will always sound better because it was more natural. And in this book, I explain how they standardize everything in the end to uh, also limit the potential of music because music is a sacred thing from ancient times. It's not just music. I mean, people are asking me uh, today, especially came out, uh, people were asking me, uh, Clyde Lewis was asking me, quite frankly, many other people were all asking me about this new book of, um, well, this posthumous book of uh, uh, former Pope Ratzinger, Pope Emeritus, who just died, you know, uh, and everybody's talking about it because apparently he's uh, highly critical of the woke culture in general, and he, of course, published it after his death, but there is a whole chapter also dedicated to liturgy and music, which is highly critical of what happened after the Second Vatican Council, when, like I say, in volume 8 of my confessions, they started to let in guitars, tambourines, and transforming the, 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 what used to be a traditional mass in a joke. And uh, for the traditional Catholics, it was a big change already, the Second Vatican Council implementations, the fact that uh, you were not celebrating anymore the Tridentine Mass, you, were, you have this Novo Ordo Mass, which was basically in the vernacular language, in the, in the current languages, whatever in the world, it wasn't any longer in Latin. But still, you could continue, thanks to, I mean, Ratzinger, I, I'm highly critical of a lot of things he did, and he himself was participated to the Second Vatican Council. So in this new book, he's trying in a way to justify the fact that they didn't interpret correctly what was issued in the Second Vatican Council. But that's rubbish. The Second Vatican Council pushed towards modernity, and Pope Francis is the product of all that. And, and of course, the Vatican has become a very different place uh, because, uh, I mean, of course, you cannot be a Catholic and not agree with Catholicism, but the last remains of Christianity, of, of, of the Christian um, belief within Catholicism were definitely de demolished after the Second Vatican Council. And gradually, they implemented the... Uh, values that will go in line with the future uh, creation of a one-world religion, because that's what uh, Pope Francis has been actually formalizing since the beginning of 2019. Well, it becomes pretty obvious that the world is is unaware of the Jesuits. <laughs> and I definitely, in the second hour, I have, I have a lot of questions for you. But since it came up, 
I think it should be noted just to point it out to the audience and anyone that picks up on this, you know, that we have our first Jesuit Pope that that should have been news everywhere. But it, it appears that no one really knows that that what that means or about the black Pope or anything of the Jesuit order. Uh, it's it's fascinating to me that I don't hear more people uh, condemning this pope for being a Jesuit. Well, I mean, then uh, you see the, 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 the interesting thing about this latest book of Ratzinger, I just published an article you can find on my website, leozagami.com, is that basically uh, the, 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 the pope didn't publish this book while he was alive because he was afraid of the criticism, but not so much regarding Pope Francis because he actually was kind of like supportive of Pope Francis because he had to be, you know, as a former, as a former Pope. But uh, in this uh, book, uh, he then is very critical of all those things, which instead are very much promoted by the present German church. I'm talking about all those progressive values, same-sex marriages, uh, and everything, the, 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 the fact that the gay, the gay priest or the women priest, or all, all things that go against what is the Catholic tradition. Basically, the current German church has threatened a schism, and Pope Francis uh, is in line with that uh, because Pope Francis is a progressive pope, so they are not, uh, of course, proceeding with that schism that will have probably proceeded if Ratz Ratzinger continued to be Pope, because he, he is, he, of course, a Pope we can criticize for many things, and he had a lot of skeletons in the closet. That's why they were able to... I, used to tell my, I would tell my mom, well, the Pope's a Nazi youth from Bavaria. And my mom would be like, well, I was a Nazi youth in Bavaria. Because <laughs> uh, he's, he's like, we all had to be, you know, so... Uh, even that didn't really affect uh, anyone when they. But, in, but instead, the, the, what he has done in the last few years, especially when it came down to the the Latin Mass, because Ratzing, Ratzinger had basically said uh, had delivered uh, an order which whereby all the dioceses could act as they wish. You know, they could celebrate if they wanted. If you know, for those people who wanted the traditional Mass, they could carry on with that. If not. Um, instead, he went and started the campaign in the last couple of years, Pope Francis, completely contrary to that, blocking every single diocese from celebrating Latin Mass. Literally inside the offices, I saw priests in dioceses in America. There it's written, you are not allowed to celebrate Latin Mass in any of the churches of these dioceses. So it's like they are very firm against and, and people say, but who cares? No, no, it's important because Latin has itself a very important value, not only as a tradition, but also as an effect. When you do an exorcism, if you do it in the in the, in the car in your own language, English, French, uh, whatever, whatever language, German, you don't have the same effect as in Latin. Latin language, uh, the, the, the actual uh, Roman rite of the exorcism, is the one that still to this day the exorcists use, even if in 1999, after the death of Father Malachi Martin, I want to say that too, just after the death of Father, they implemented those changes which had been discussed in the Second Vatican Council. Literally, and I, this is part of a book, uh, volume 6.66 of my confessions, in which I show all the things that were omitted from 
the exorcism, prayers, literally they took off prayers, uh, they took off signs of the cross, all kinds of things. But the most important thing was that also they gave the possibility to exorcise in other languages that were not Latin. And uh, the chief exorcist uh, of the Vatican later on, the, in, later on, just a year after it happened, after the Vatican promulgated this whole thing, he started to criticize that and formed, in fact, a, a group of exorcists that still exists to this day, and that was Father Amort. They did also a documentary on him, I think, even on Netflix. Father Amort was uh, one of the biggest exorcists, uh, and uh, he was highly critical of all these reforms. He said it's like they are basically sending us to war without the weapons, and it's, it's becoming really dangerous. So when you are in front of demons, that will reply only, uh, and they will disappear only if you act using the traditional ritual and the traditional language for that ritual. I think in volume eight, you discuss how Crowley made sure to use English to write yes. the book of the law for the Absolutely. satanic purposes. Yeah, for he, he actually, uh, in the book of the law, which, as you know, was channeled by his wife and transmitted to him in Cairo in, during this uh, uh, operation of channeling that uh, started after uh, he he of course opened Crowley did all kinds of things that a traditional magician will never do because he wanted to challenge the system. No, first of all, Crowley uh, was very lucky to receive the mentorship of MacGregor Matters until he argued with him later on. But uh, MacGregor Matters was the guy that during that time had translated. Uh, the magic of Abraham in the mage had asked Crowley to participate to the publication of the Ars Coetia, which comes from the Legemeton, which is a very important text of magic. And uh, he actually was the year after he, uh, the, this uh, Ars Coetia was put out, which then became the fundamental grimoire of of, all, of Crowley's practices, he went to Egypt and he starts really with the, the invocation taken from the, uh, from the Ars Goetia in the Great Pyramid of Giza. He starts uh, this ritual with uh, his wife present, Rose Kelly, who had just married. He had interrupted, by the way, before getting to, to, to Egypt, the magic of Abraham the Mage, something you shouldn't do because this is a ritual that lasts a certain number of months and you shouldn't interrupt, but he didn't care. So he interrupted this ritual. He went uh, to Egypt. He started reciting this, uh, this uh, part of the Goetia inside the Great Pyramid, and that's when later on the wife starts going uh, in trance and then later on will start delivering this uh, this book of the law so uh, i think that is fundamental for people who really want to know a little bit more about crowley to know that he started the ground zero of crowleyanity was of course his initiation in the golden dawn in which then he managed to get to mcgregor mothers who seemed to have been understanding that this guy was at a level, let's say, of knowledge far superior from the other people. But that's not to say that he was positive. So McGregor Matters says, okay, we are putting out this lesser key of Solomon, this Goetia, this editing and additional uh, uh, work. Uh, I will let you do it. 
in fact, he actually says in the introduction, McGregor Mathers, he says, he calls him a poet and a skilled student of magical lore, uh, Alistair, Mr. Alistair Crowley, an expert Kabbalist, uh, you know, that has helped me out. You know, and I so he basically uh, gives Crowley, uh, this, this, of course, is uh, when it's published in 1903, he gives Crowley the weapon, the tool in which Crowley could then Invoke, and he wanted to reach contact with those secret chiefs, those adepts that the Golden Dawn claimed to be in contact with. And so he went into the Grepidongis and he started, said, I invoke the boneless one, I didn't create the earthen, all that. He started with the preliminary invocation, basically, of the Goetia. And at that point, uh, later on, uh, the, the wife starts to, uh, because this was done during uh, during a night in which he actually slept in the Pyramid of Giza. That was possible back in the days. You just give some money, and no problem. Nowadays, very difficult for tourists to have such access to the Pyramid of Giza because for a period, uh, there was also terrorist attack. They were really strict with everything. But having said that, uh, the wife transmits, channels this entity, Ivas, messenger of Horus uh, and all that comes into a book, a book that becomes very important for uh, for the whole of the show business and not only that, for the modern Illuminati. In volume 8 of my confessions, I basically show how this is also well received in Hollywood, in Hollywood where there is a base of Sabatian Frankists. Now, it's very important to understand the Sabatian Frankists are the ones who really inspired those sexual magical rituals. Uh, Crowley didn't create anything. He got them from Pe Pascal Beverly Randolph and people who instead, in turn, had been influenced by the Sabbateans. Jack, uh, Sabbatai Zevi, the, the, the prophet of Sabbateanism, uh, the guy who started this whole heretical movement within... That was 1666, right? When he in 1666 was the day in which he declared himself to be Muslim in reality, just to please the sultan. <laughs> and, and then he created basically this crypto-Jewish covenant, you know? This is crypto-Jewish sect. And uh, he, he he basically uh, was doing uh, orgies with his wife, other people, and the, the aim was basically to dig as deep as possible into sin and perversion and all that, because by doing all these nefarious activities, these perverse activities, you will bring closer the messianic age. I know it's sick, I know it's a very sick philosophy, but this is what happened. So I don't know what's your take on that. Well, I know that Prince and Michael Jackson tried to bring this to the surface. I know uh, especially Prince sang about the Sabateans in his song, uh, in one of his songs that I can't think of the name of it at this moment. <laughs> uh, well, Prince tried to actually warn us of a lot of things. In, yes. In, in, so, as well as Michael Jackson, and they both yes. ended up very badly. And in fact, in my book, as you know, I also... Uh, talk about uh, the, 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 the infamous uh, doctor of Michael Jackson who killed him and his uh, connections with the New World Order, his Masonic body. Dr. Murray. Was, yeah, yeah the, he used to belong to a Masonic body. Now, you see, the easiest way that the, the Freemasons of today manage to always get out of trouble is by blaming everything that is wrong in Freemasonry to irregular and clandestine Masons. They say, ah, oh, no. Yeah, we have nothing to do with it. That's irregular. That's clandestine. The P2, the thing, the this, the that. Oh, these people are... No, no, this is not real Freemason. Well, instead, 
what most people don't know is that in clandestine and regular Freemasonry, you find yet again regular Masons. I mean, and uh, actually, I got my wife to be a witness of it when she uh, was, I think, six years ago, five or six years ago, she said, um, I would like to be initiated into Freemasonry to have an experience about it. Just, you know, she wants to have the Masonic experience. In Italy, I didn't really want to initiate. I was only working within the frames of regular Freemasonry. But I said, OK, there is a friend of mine uh, who has a lodge in London. It's a mixed lodge with a Memphis and Midsrem chart. But they are all members of the UGLE meeting with women who are not, of course, uh, uh, regular Mason, but they conduct the workings of this lodge with this, uh, I think it was the, Memf the Swiss Memphis and Miserim that chartered them, if I get it right, which is the same that, by the way, gave also the recognition at one point also to uh, Jordan Maxwell, which we talked be before we started the show. And uh, so uh, my wife was initiated. She then uh, went back for, uh, uh, because you are initiated, but then your course uh, uh, elevated later on to Master Mace after going through a fellow, uh, fellow craft. Uh, so you have uh, this uh, enter apprentice. You have, of course, a period in which you study and do all your things. But uh, when she was in there and she was initiated, and, the, the, and of course, the, the, her, the bandage, you know, the thing that you put in front of your eyes is taken off after the initiation, as it usually is in Freemasonry. She was surprised to see that uh, all the Masons there were all regular Masons, most of them wearing also the stuff from regular Freemasonry. So they didn't have any, they were not afraid of being in any regular clandestine lodge. And this once again proves that they covered themselves. The lodge which Murray is part of is a lodge which works within the frames of irregularity because, of course, they are not recognized officially. But then when you go in there, you will find regular Masons there too. And on top of that, by not working in the frames of regularity, they are capable of doing things that others don't do, like working with women in their lodges, for example. Here in, 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 for example, here in California, Southern California, there is a mixed lodge with some of the most influential Freemasons in the country working with a French charter and it's here in South Pasadena and some of the people in there are the ones who you know if you see them in a regular lot they will be like oh no we would never those clandestine lodges oh we never go there oh that's terrible women in Freemasonry never and then you see them there hypocrites Hypocrites. They're all hypocrites. But in the case of Dr. Murray, uh, his connections, well, after two years, he was out. So that, that tells it all. You know, after two, only two years in prison, he was out of jail for murdering Michael Jackson. Right. Uh, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's a joke. But I wanted to explain this in volume eight of my confessions, This uh, the, the way that uh, I don't know if you got to that point in your reading of it, but I want it because it's towards the end of the book, but it is basically a classical excuse. In sites, you know, like the, the site Masonic Dummies, Masonic for Dummies, I don't know the name of that site. I think Freemasonry for Dummies or something like that. It's a website. Yes, that, yeah. Okay. They always use that excuse. And they used it also when Dr. Murray was accused. Uh, of, 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 of having done some dirty work on behalf of some 
of some people. Now, Christopher Odap is the classic Freemason, you know, the author of the site. He likes to pick up certain things and leave out others. So we are now with the arrest, when it was last week, uh, 10 days ago, of the, of the head of the mafia, of Cosa Nostra, Matteo Messina Denaro. I wrote an article immediately after the arrest. It went very well. The article was very read. I have thousands of visits from all over the world. One thing that I must say is that at least my website is still very followed, at least for the articles. And, uh, and uh, suddenly I posted this article on, on my Facebook and I received the mess, uh, a comment under of uh, Brother Freemason from Santa Monica here from Southern California. Ah, but this is clandestine Mason. I said, listen, brother, did you read the article? Read the article? Because in the article, I mentioned the name of the lodges, the number of the lodges, and the membership of the regular Grand Lodge of Italy, which is under the UGLE, and the Grand Orient of Italy, which is recognized by the Grand Lodge of California. These are regular lodges that he was involved with. They're not irregular. Irregular might have been his own lodge, Lodge La Sicilia. So I argued with this guy. He said, but I'm allowed, at one point uh, in private, he told me, but I'm allowed to have a different opinion. I said, no, because when I am bringing you the facts and it says here that this is a regular lodge, you can't change the facts. That is a regular lodge. It's, it's on your list. You go to your lodge secretary, will tell you that is a regular lodge. You can attend. So why you, 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 know, you can't have a different opinion. One plus one is two. It's never going to be free. So I told him to screw, screw himself and I blocked him. That's it. I mean, I don't have patience for people like that. Oh, but for the good of Freemasonry, we should all be friends. No, no, it doesn't matter. It, I don't care. I'm, I don't have that kind of, I don't have that kind of patience anymore because I had to leave Italy because of those criminals, of those irregular clandestine Freemasons and their very dangerous lodges that rule not only Freemasonry, but rule the most dangerous mafias like the Andrangheta in Calabria. And so I'm never going to be, you know, just com comply, you know, complicit, how you say, to, I'm, I'm never going to just agree because we all have to be brother for brotherly love's sake. No, no, it doesn't. You are letting Freemasonry become a shadow and a demon crap. Um, sorry for these words. Huh? <laughs> it's all right. No, no. no we're uh, you, you, No, no, I bet. But uh, I mean, as I said, you are letting Freemasonry be ruined by all this because you are not really acknowledging your problems. Now, this last week, Italian newspapers have come out and have confirmed everything I wrote in that article. Even the lodges, they have actually arrested people connected already with one of the lodges that I wrote in the article, connected to the boss. They were protecting the boss. His doctor was from one of the from a lodge from the Grand Orient of Italy, but also other people now from the Ferrer uh, Lodge, which was in Castel Vetrano. So, I mean, these are regular lodges, and they are arresting them, they are investigating them. And actually, all over the Italian news is written that uh, Matteo Messinaro was protected by this network of Freemasonry in Italy and abroad. He used to travel to England regularly, travel to America. So Honesty is missing from free, today's Freemasonry. They don't have any sense of reality. They think they can get away with it 
with the ignorant people who are not Masons, like uh, this guy who does the Freemason for Dummies uh, website. That's why I was highly critical of Christopher Hodap, and I'm highly critical of, of, of these people who, uh, who do these websites to debunk people who, um, who maybe criticize them, who expose them. Like you were talking about Brother Knight, the guy who wrote that book. Yeah, they were afraid life. to publish it because their father was a Mason. That's uh, that's how it works. That you know, there was a movie that came out called Hoodwinked, and it was an animated film made by Weinstein. And every Mason in Kansas went to go see it together. It's a it's a children's animated movie, uh, but basically based off of uh, Pulp Fiction. You know, uh, but I just found it so fascinating because I was friends with the Masons in town in in Kansas, and they all went to go see this movie simply because it was titled Hoodwinked. And they felt this connection to it. But we're wrapping up this first hour here, Leo. And I, I wanted well, to, to close this first hour. There's another website that does exactly what Promissory for Dummies does. It's masoniquinfo.com with another guy. I think he's based there. He's a, a guy from the Grand Lodge of Maine. And he wrote a whole page against me saying that I was, oh, I was an irregular Mason because. Uh, well, uh, after I went uh, to, you know, I was part, of course, of the United Kingdom of Joe Inge, but then I was involved with the regular Masons. So, you know, they should just dismiss me as somebody who liked dressing up in fancy clothes in, in fancy rights or high degree rights and stuff. I mean, this is the level uh, of, of, of these people that they're trying to cover up for their uh, wrong deeds. So I think uh, that nowadays people are a little bit more clever and uh, they're starting to see so I, I think that if you're an honest, I have a lot of Masons that are still friends of mine and still call me brother, even if I taken this unpopular position. But of course, when I see that the former Grandmaster of California has criticized openly Donald J. Trump and is, of course, a libtard, I see that inside the lodges, they let all these OTO people that are all, by the way, libtards, most of them, and, and, and plus, they're black magicians. and Transhumanists. Is, they're transhumanists. My God. Or, or even trans in the sense of trans, like, uh -huh. uh, you know, uh, transgender. Because here in Palm Springs, the lodge it all of, spurs from the OTO. Listen, I went, I went in only, I think, once in the lodge of Palm Springs. I went in and I found myself in front of a transgender. Yeah. I was like, what the hell? I mean, I don't have any, you know. When the United Lodge of England came out, I think four or five years, I don't remember exactly when, I think it was three or four years ago, um, they said that, that basically now they will accept transgenders in the lodges. Not only women transgender, that mean men who want to be women, but even men, women who wanted to be men. Now that is screwed up because you are saying that uh, working with women is irregular and then you let in a woman who pretends to be a man or vice versa, a man who pretends to be a woman, you are insane. That's yes, it. and we watch the rise of all of this through reality television, through yeah. Masonic MTV. That's they... another thing that they discuss in this book when it came down to, to Ozzy Osbourne. I said Ozzy Osbourne had two functions in his life. In volume 8 of my confessions, I make that very clear. The first function was to promote the darkest side of rock, black metal, uh, sorry, metal. And then later on, metal became even darker when it became black metal and so on. But uh, he was the one who promoted that music right at the start with uh, Black Sabbath. 
and all the music he did. He wrote Mr. Crowley. So, yes. I mean, he doesn't need it. And then later on in his life, he became the promoter of Trash TV. Yeah. Now, that's yeah. not very good for his karma, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Osborns. I mean, we, all, he promoted everything that is bad. I mean, he promoted first a sort of, you know, this because, you know, it's not like from Rolling Stones we automatically got into uh, into Iron Maiden or we got automatically into 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 death metal or black metal or all that. There was a period of transition, and I think that uh, him biting the bat and doing all that was very much a responsibility. But I mean, he admitted himself with with the track Mister Crowley what he was up to. So. I guess that, unfortunately, everything that came out of the Osborne might be artistically valid up to a certain extent, because, so a certain point, because in the end it's promoting those values, which in my book, I repeat, are the values of the coming Antichrist. Because, you know, the Antichrist can't just, can't just show up one day out of the blue and transform society. He needs first society to be transformed in his image. And that's what's happening here. Well, as we wrap this up, uh, let's let's focus on the, on why this is important because we're looking at a practice of magic when we're talking about Freemasonry and the rituals that they well, would no, do. No, uh, first of all, well, I will say that Freemasonry is social and has some esoteric elements in the first three degrees, but there is no right at the moment that is magic per se in the first three degrees, because the only right that was magic in the first three degrees was Cayostro's right, Egyptian right. And that is no longer practiced because uh, it included the, the option of having a child in the lodge that had to communicate with the angels. And that, of course, for modern lodges is almost impossible to have. Well, that, was, that was the point, though, that I wanted to make. Yes. Uh, just, just to wrap up this thought. But in the in the rights of Freemasonry, then it's different because, for example, in the rights, then you get in direct contact with the taumaturgy, the taumaturgy, with, with magic, magical practices, especially in the Egyptian rites, Memphis and Misraim, Misraim, uh, Memphis on its own. Or, they're all rites uh, that, of course, includes uh, uh, element of magic, and even the Scottish right. And that's what I discuss in my book here, Volume 8, the connection between the Scottish right and voodoo, within right. Freemasonry and voodoo, that people don't know about. Yeah, seeing that compass square and G in the voodoo yeah. symbolism uh, definitely lays it out right there. Yeah. But the point I wanted to get to is what you're saying, though, is is the spirit of the Lodge. And that's why there's a problem with the irregular characters, clandestine masonry and all of that. And also in the regular lodges, if you bring well, I'm just saying a bunch that... of OTO people in a lodge, which is regular, let's say, yeah, exactly. it's your, uh, and, and you make them stay there. It changes it, the dominant egregor for you that. You know what happened in Sicily once uh, with this? Uh, I remember they called me up, a worship master called me up, said, uh, I want to discuss something with you. Uh, I know that you are coming to Sicily to visit your relatives. Uh, can, can, I, can I pick you up at the airport? I said, okay. It was um, he came picked me up in Catania. He was from a lodge in Catania, a regular lodge of the Grand Orient of Italy. He said, "The people in this lodge are all dying. We need your help." I said, "So what has happened here?" And in the end, we discovered that they let in this occultist, this black magician in the lodge, who had polluted completely the egregore of the lodge, and one by one, they were inevitably dying as flies. 
Wow. Wow. And, yeah, that's uh, exactly what I was wondering. And on top of that, when one of the the most illustrious people in uh, Sicilian Freemasonry died, Ben Parodi, who was a 33 degree, I think, golden chain. Golden chain is something they give to the Freemasons of very high level within the, you know, you have the Supreme Council members and then you have the golden chain. Now, Ben Parodi was also a member of a very much of an aristocratic family in Sicily, the family that inspired the, the, the Gatto Pardo. So, I mean, we're talking here about uh, also a famous movie by Rocchino Visconti. Um, well, Ben Parodi died, and the Satanist went to steal his body from the cemetery. And this is like, you know, I was insane, but it's what they do. Yeah, that's what the odd fellows do, right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you, you understand the pollution of the egregore happened also to another friend of mine. Uh, he was uh, another, he was a golden chain. I was very honored to have him as a friend. Unfortunately, he died because of all this. Uh, he was known, uh, he was uh, known as one of the most uh, people who knew Freemasonry probably more than anybody else in Italy. In fact, he had become at one point the, the guy in charge of the um, archives of Freemasonry in Italy. He wrote the bibliography of Freemasonry in Italy, Enrico Simoni. Now, Enrico Simoni. Uh, it's sad because this uh, touched me directly this uh, 10 years ago uh, he called me and he said I have to tell you something and I need your help uh, I said okay uh, well, so what is it he said since I joined the Supreme Council I started to have problems I said well, why what's happening and I think that there is somebody that is doing black magic and is present in the Supreme Council that we don't know about but it's affecting all of us and uh, I have a brain tumor he said now can you exorcise me he said even if I die I would like to be exorcised by this he said so I called uh, because uh, I did some exorcism in the past but uh, I wanted to have the help of somebody who was really knowledgeable. So I called my friend, the Cavalier Fortunato Luciano Chandra, who is the founder of an organization called Crest in Italy. And he's a knight of the Holy Sepulchre. Knight. He, he was even made a knight by Ratzinger uh, as a pope. Uh, and the pope made him a member of also the Order of San Silvestre. I don't know. I mean, he has so many things. And he's a cultural guy. I mean, he knows his... his Listen, he's, this guy, I even brought him uh, some friends of Oliver Stone once to his house, and they were like shocked by what they saw in his house. And uh, he came with me, and uh, he recited, I must say, he recited, I had brought the ritual with me, but uh, Chandra knew the ritual by memory, so there was no need for me for bringing the ritual with me. But he, he literally said it by memory. And we exorcised him. He later died. No, but at least he died knowing that uh, his soul was saved in some way because uh, Chandra has never been a Freemason in per se. He's a knight. He only joined Freemasonry uh, as a side thing. And uh, he also was agreeing with me in the Sick Temper of Servants. You have to understand the Sick Temper of Servants was actually a group which was anti-Masonic but infiltrated the whole systems of Freemasonry. And in the end, though, it was uh, kind of uh, casted out uh, at the convent of Willemsbad. But it was very much respected because uh, of their 
very much Christian only approach. In their lodges, they didn't accept any occultist. They didn't want any occultism, discussed even, and only Christians could accept their lodges. So they were very strict. But in any case, this demonstrates that the pollution of an egregore, now for those who don't know what an egregore is, I'm sure your listeners or your people who follow you, I'm sure that they are acquainted with this. The egregore is a thought form that is, that is coming together once you have a number of people coming together who generate a thought. When you have people in a lodge, they create an egregore. Now, this egregore can be a positive egregore, it can be a negative egregore. Any, any, any group of people can generate an egregore, and I explained this also in volume eight, as you know, regarding uh, concerts, music concerts, generate egregores, for example, very powerful ones. So the pollution of the egregore is something, I think, that... Uh, um, American Freemasons at the moment, currently in 2023, underestimate and it's creating a lot of problems for, for them. And they Absolutely. don't even know about it. So. And folks, you thought subliminal messages, satanic messages played backwards on your records were the problem. No, it goes much deeper than that. Because yeah. yeah. You know, I, I talked this. a bit, yeah, in fact, I talked well, a bit about back, back masking and that kind of thing in my right. book, but it's minimal compared to all the rest, as you know. Well, this book goes deep. Well, I'm going to wrap us up here, Leo, and then we're going to move into the member section. So, um, but uh, this book goes deep, folks. You definitely, you're going to learn because I've learned and I know a lot about this and we didn't even get to half of it, to be honest with you. There's so much in there uh, from the CIA to the mechanizations of secret societies to black magic rituals of, of cults that you've never heard of. Uh, Leo Zagami is the man to bring you this information as his confessions of an Illuminati. This one, of course, is from the rise of the Antichrist to the sound of the devil and the great reset. All the books will be linked right here for you to get into in the show notes. And, you uh, you know, pretty soon they're all going to be on my shelf. I promise you that <laughs> I'll be working so on that. Uh, I'm sure you're going to appreciate them. But, I mean, I, I think that people with, uh, with uh, a lot of knowledge like like you can dig even deeper in the content than the that's normal. always the hope we pass this knowledge on so that those that are have the the energy to pick it up and keep going and guys leo ends his book with this thought that this book he would like all rottenness that exists in the world of entertainment to be exposed so that we can finally be free of this oppression because art is the first and foremost freedom and that is the truth, folks. And that's uh, the beauty that Leo Zagami brings to the world as he unveils and exposes the nefarious nature of the Illuminati, whichever version of that word you expect it to be from Freemasonry to the occult of the Yeah, OTO because uh, when I start in volume one, I immediately say that when I talk about confessions of Illuminati, I'm not talking only about the Order of Adam Bishop, though I, I have been exactly. part uh, of it and I have experiences of it and I rely lay them on my books in my books but it's a much more like the illuminati is all those mystery schools of the of, of, of not only of the western asiatic system they can also be from you know from china or from from the far east or the middle east i mean i'm talking about of course uh, predominantly about uh, my own experiences in the western asiatic system but at times, I also had experiences with the Middle East, with the Far East, which I also discuss. But the Illuminati is not only Adam Vesha. I mean, already in the time of Adam Vesha, there were two 
groups called Illuminati. The followers of Saint Martin, the Martinists, basically, they, 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 they want Claude de Saint Martin, the unknown philosopher, as he used to like to be called himself, later on picked up by Papus, who formalized and codified the Martinists. But he was a follower of Martin de Pasquali. Martin de Pasquali also came uh, from uh, Haiti. And, and there is all that connection that people really don't know about uh, of Freemasonry with uh, voodoo, which I find right. very interesting. Uh, and, and, and of course, uh, I invite all of you to go and check out. But in general, I always say from volume one of my confessions, the Illuminati as a network of secret society Uh, secret societies or mystery schools, which unfortunately, I must say, have gradually all got corrupted and are all working for the same purpose. That's what's happening here. And some of them are doing it willingly. Some of them are doing it unconsciously. Some of, but they're all working for the same uh, thing. Because uh, no matter if you are a Rosicrucian who receive a course uh, via mail for years and say, oh, well, I've been receiving this course. I think that it's great that I can be part of this great Rosicrucian order. Do you think that real Rosicrucians give corresponding courses? That's insane, <laughs> even to think that. Or, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. You need the, the congregation. You need it all together. But Let's take this on into the member okay. section, and uh, yeah, we'll get. Oh yeah, to yeah. For, for all those people who have followed up, up until now, uh, liozagami.com, and then you can uh, have more uh, info on me and also my latest articles and the links to my books. Yes, because there is so much going on, guys. You want to keep up with what's going on in the Vatican mechanizations going on, Vatican. Uh, so we have Davos. Uh, yeah. People, in volume seven of my confessions, for example, I explain how Davos actually brought in the middle of the 70s this Bishop Camara, which came from Brazil, who was the mentor of Pope Francis and changed everything around. He was involved in this group called the Secret Group of the Vatican, known as the group that signed the Pact of the Catacombs, which is basically a Marxist pact in 13 uh, points. And uh, nobody knows that. They think, okay, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, oh yeah. Well, there is actually... Videos you can find on the internet where he says the most important and difficult moment of my life, or the most important, most difficult, like he talks to Klaus Schwab, was when I had to invite Bishop Kamara. But I made this choice. You know, so this is uh, uh, also another book that maybe in the future we can uh, discuss more in detail, Volume 7. <laughs> and uh, for the moment, I leave, uh, of course, to you uh, reading... Uh, And, and studying uh, what I've been uh, trying to uh, relate to, to people who are interested, at least. Because not everybody's interested in knowing the dynamics of this prison. <laughs> yes. Well, we're going to get deep into this, guys. Uh, we're going to get into questions only I could ask and answers that only Leo Zagami could give. So I hope you'll come over to freemantv.com and subscribe and get all the bonus hours. You can subscribe for a free week and just uh, check it out. It's super simple. Just freemantv.com. Click subscribe and fill it out. You're in. Good to go. So I hope you'll come over because we're getting going to get deep. I, I'm going to throw in ET ambassadors, Lucifer, uh, and Cyber Satan. We have so many places to go in this next hour. So thank you all so much for tuning in and keeping me going, keeping this life 
the free zone has been going now 18 years and it's just amazing to keep going here and uh I hope Leo and I can become good friends <laughs> and so right, talk about right. this much more. Definitely, but, definitely. It will be a pleasure to to discuss uh, many topics in the future that I'm sure that we can, I mean, analyze in a different perspective because you have the, 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 the knowledge capable to understand certain things. I mean, I do a lot of interviews, as you know, I do uh, hundreds of interviews a year and, and then you have those interviews that are more important because they go deeper. And, and I think that with you, we can go deeper. Yes. You guys just wait till this next round, this next hour. So please get over to freemantv.com and subscribe and get over to leozagami.com. Check out all the articles that are there. And the links uh, for all the books are right here on freemantv.com. So thank you. And we will see you next week. Mm -hmm.